Hello everyone and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged and this is the Timon Aronsman episode. Now, what can I tell you about Timon? Well, he's the only Timon I've ever met, a very charming young Dutchman who loves history and has a really bright future because he knows how to ride a bicycle very well indeed. He became a World Tour Pro or a WTP just as the COVID lockdown of 2020 ended and has had a pretty meteoric rise since then. He's had a brilliant season in 2022 with Team DSM, winning the Queen stage of the Vuelta in the process and was eventually sixth place overall. In 2023, he'll be riding for the Ineos Grenadiers and we chat all about what he's looking forward to and his goals as well. Plus, he tells me how hard Tom Pickcock hit him in the backside with a football. We also chat about his enjoyment of Formula One racing games. And in the hometown quiz, he gets the opportunity to do his word search in both Dutch and English. So, whether you're listening to this in Dutch or English, grab yourself some refreshments, get comfortable and relax. Alsjeblieft. Do that, sorry, say that again now for me. Alsjeblieft. One more. Alsjeblieft. <laughs> because this is the time announcement episode. <laughs> Let's now delve into our bag of emails, our virtual bag, of course, because emails don't come in a hessian sack. That would be weird. Uh, we did receive a lovely letter from Emily Barber, a child and adolescent psychotherapist and a cycling fan, and she praised our recent special episode for World Mental Health Day. Um, and she made a really striking observation about how fragility and strength coexist in cyclists. And she said, and I'm quoting now, um, the thing that really struck me was how the cyclists were so unfathomably tough and as hard as nails, yet also like butterflies. Colourful, almost delicate, at the mercy of a slick of oil, rain or spectator destroying their season or even career. What a great analogy. And Emily also went on to explain how she's now getting in touch with cycling networks, which is absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for getting in touch with us. And it sounds like you're motivated to make a positive change. So keep up the great work. Um, the letter is quite a long one, um, but it's beautifully written. And, and it's lovely to hear, actually, um, and to read how... Well, that's what we that's what we intend to do when we made the podcast, is to listen to people's stories Um to get the message out there. And the fact that it's caused such a reaction is is what we wanted to do. Um, so thanks, Emily, for getting in touch. Um, that was a lovely thing to read. Thank you for taking the time uh, to write such a, um, a lovely letter. Uh, it was beautifully composed as well. Um, right, so if anybody else wants to get in contact with us, um, our email address is as follows, podcast at sigmasports.com. Um, or you can send a voice note to our WhatsApp number on our special Sigma Sports burner phone, which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. And that is exactly what Laura did. So let's have a listen. Hi, Matt. You keep saying to get in contact on the podcast, so I thought I would. My name's Laura and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem and I've been listening to your rather wonderful podcast on our record-breaking tandem ride around the world. My husband Stevie and I are cycling 18,000 miles in hopefully 180 days to set a new Guinness World Record. We started from the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin on the 5th of June 
and are well over three quarters of our distance now in the middle of Canada somewhere. We hope to be back in Berlin for the 1st of December and we're raising some money for some rather amazing charities along the way, Mind, VetLife and Sustrans. So if any of your listeners or you yourself would like to follow us along, we're Stella Tandem on most of the socials or www.stellatandem.com and Stella is spelt with one L because it's Stevie and Laura. Um, So yeah, please keep up the amazing work with the podcast because it's helping us keep going and thanks so much. Wow. Well, that um, I can honestly say is the first time I've actually heard that because that's the way we do the pod. Um, and I'm quite touched, actually. That's brilliant. It's um, I know that lots of people listen to this podcast from all different areas of cycling and beyond, um, but that that that's lovely. And and flipping out, my mind is actually slightly blown. Um, wow, I'm a little bit lost for words. It's quite rare for me. But Laura and Stevie, all the very best. Firstly, thanks for getting in contact. Secondly, you're slightly mad. Um, but thirdly, um, what um, what a wonderful set of causes too. So um, I will certainly, when I've finished recording this pod, get my phone out and give you a follow. I'm going to get in contact with you as well to personally wish you all the very best. But um, wow, that's absolutely wonderful. Tymon Aronsman is one of the most exciting riders of the pro peloton. Having impressed last year with Team DSM, his victory at the Queen stage and his overall performance at the Vuelta Espana took him to the next level. He's no longer a promising young rider, he's a contender. Now we're in between seasons, Tymon looks back at his time with DSM with great fondness while still looking forward to delivering for his new team for 2023, the Ineos Grenadiers. The imposing Dutchman is a powerful rider who excels equally in the mountains and on gruelling single-day races too. He seems to have it all. Now, I was keen to find out if he has aspirations to win a Grand Tour or where he sees his talent best focused. And he also wants to know if he could identify the animals on the crest of his hometown of Deal in the Netherlands. And also, if he sounds like he's coming in a bit hot from an audio perspective, he's just an imposing figure in all walks of life. Check it out. Simon Aronsman, thank you very much for coming on Matt Stevens Unplugged. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for asking. And uh, how are you after the Ineos camp? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Um, yeah, it was it was good fun. Um, it's, I was yeah. It took me a couple of days to recover. And the thing is, I went from the camp um, to Nice to Ibiza to continue basically partying. So I feel um, like I now need a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> no, it was it was good. I mean, I mean, we might. I tell you what, let's let's kick things off because let's set things in a little bit of context. Um, I was asked to come over to the Ineos camp in Nice um, to to host the awards uh, that you have at the end of the year, and you're obviously a new rider on the squad. You've signed a two year deal with the Ineos Grenadiers, and you were there as well. It's the first time we've ever met, but um, it was. An eventful few days. It was a lot of fun, but for you, you're you're moving into a, com- a completely new team with a completely um, a completely different atmosphere and a way of doing things. So, w- what were your first honest first impressions, um, Timon? Um, really impressed. Like um, all the the possibilities. Um, so many people in the team. Um, all the equipment and like just how well it was organized that yeah, really impressed me like uh, it was really nice to be there um but also just all the people there all in a really good mood really positive and uh, really motivated like it was just 
yeah, all positive and uh, really good fun. So I really enjoyed it. And actually, before we move on, one thing I have forgotten to do, which I normally uh, do, Timon, where in the world are you right now, actually? Uh, I, normally, I normally do this at the start, but can, can you describe the room that you're in and tell everybody where you are? <laughs> um, right now I'm in the, at home in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, a little town called Based in the middle of the Netherlands. And um, I'm just like, yeah, next to my room in uh, on a desk um, where also my PlayStation is and my laptop and all my cycling uh, stuff. So, well, pretty cozy. Nice one. Oh, what's the, what's the last game that you played on your PlayStation? Um, I play quite a bit of Formula One. I also follow it. So I also watch the American Grand Prix. So, yeah, that's, uh, it's good fun. I also have this uh, steering wheel, you know, with the pedals. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good fun to race with uh, some friends in cycling. And uh, we play quite a bit. So uh, that's good fun. Do you, are you pretty decent? Are you are you quiet? Would you back yourself in a Formula One race, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not world class, of course, because I don't uh, don't don't play uh, that often. Because I'm always on the road. But uh, yeah, in uh, in a holiday, uh, I can grow to uh, or yeah, like grow to a pretty pretty okay level. I would say, like um, with the guys we are racing, I'm uh, quite competitive. So uh, that's nice if we are doing uh, doing some online races. I uh, can be on the front. I know uh, another friend of our podcast, Alex Dowsett, is really into his. He's got the whole chair at home and, and the whole setup. Uh, so he's got like the racing seat. So there are quite a few pros who, who absolutely love it. We'll have to maybe do an online, a, a live podcast of pro cyclists doing gaming Formula One. Would be well, a really cool show, I think. It would be really cool. A lot of swearing and they're really competitive, I think. Oh, definitely. So like, go, just going back to the to the camp and obviously you, you were new, it was – it was there was and, and and as an outsider, although I have done a little bit of work for the team in the past, and I know a lot of the staff because it is a British team after all. I did get a sense that there was a a real family sort of spirit already, and you've got some big big objectives. But I think one of the most just talking about you about your love of Formula One, you must be very excited um, that the way that the team are going to be looking to get gains in the future is to, is to collaborate with other sports and the Formula One team. That must be really exciting for you. Yeah, exactly. What I heard in the presentations about uh, Project Ineos X, like working together with uh, with other sports and uh, sharing experiences. Like, yeah, I'm uh, really curious to see also how it goes in uh, in the Mercedes team. But uh, that will be pretty cool. And I think also like with all the aerodynamic uh, knowledge in that that there is in a Formula One team, like, yeah, why not could uh, uh, could a cycling team learn from it? You know. Um, so that's a, that's a really exciting project. Yeah, it does look good. I mean, for anybody listening and wondering what the hell the heck we're talking about, the Ineos X is basically uh, something that Dave Brailsford is helming, isn't it? And um, all the the sports that Ineos are involved in, they're just basically going to share information, aren't they? Cross pollinate, which um, is something that very few teams can do. Can do, uh, and it will be interesting to see how that goes in the next few years. But one of the little bits of initial cross-pollination that you did, Timon, was actually visit the Nice Football Club, wasn't it? I didn't actually ask you because um, I heard there were like some of the some of the rides were pretty good at the crossbar challenge. Uh, how did you go at the crossbar challenge? Yeah, there was a there was a nice there was a nice one the crossbar challenge. I also did it uh, quite a few times, but really? um, oh nice, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was a really nice one. I think I did it. Two or three times, but in the end, it was not enough because um, the other team won, and we had to stand on the line, and they uh, could 
Icarus with the ball and uh, <laughs> and, and Tom <laughs> and Tom uh, yeah Tom, Tom Pitcock uh, hit me quite bad, <laughs> but so it was not enough. I, I was pretty good at it, I think. Like I hit it twice or three times, but uh, still it was not enough for the victory, and I got uh, hit pretty bad on the ass <laughs> by yeah. Tom, Tom Pitcock, but uh, it was good fun. That, can you imagine the headlines, Timon? You know, brand new signing, um, you know, Timon Allensman injured by Olympic mountain bike champion Tom Pidcock in a football challenge. That would be one of the, of the most amazing headlines, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that, that would be a great headline. Yeah, like uh, Tom and, uh, and Magnus Sheffield, who are on the, the other team, and they were uh, pretty keen to hit me. Uh, so it was uh, pretty, yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. But yeah. Fair enough, because um, I also hit Magnus uh, on his ass in, in a, on a different challenge. So uh, maybe I deserve that one. <laughs> That's it's a certainly a good way of, of team building, isn't it? But no, it certainly would. Did you? How many of the Ineos Grenadiers did you know particularly well, or uh, before coming into uh, in, in the team? Was there a particular few guys that you'd race with a little bit more, or was it all, all quite new to you? It was all quite new, uh, to be honest. Like. Um, only in Tour of Poland when I was standing on the podium with uh, Eaton and uh, Magnus and we talked a little bit about the team um, but yeah I didn't really know a lot of guys personally so yeah, it was quite new for me but uh, I also quite liked that getting a bit out of my comfort zone and um, that was quite good yeah I mean you started your your your, your semi-professional career, your continent level career with with Team SEG. Do you want to just talk to us, to us a little bit about that 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 team? That's a squad that has brought on some big talent over the last few years. So, so to talk a little bit about how important and what the atmosphere and the culture was like in that in that team before you then moved on to Sunweb. Um, yeah, I think that team uh, really had a, a great project. You know, like um, SEG is, uh, is is still my management. Um, so it, it really was a management that also had a team. So it was like uh, both the riders and the management are really winning um, by uh, signing good riders, good talents in the team and really investing in them. Because in the end, the rider will be will turn pro and the, and the management will earn some money uh, sure. back from the investment if they turn pro, because I still pay them, of course. Sure. So that was a really nice project. And it's... Yeah, so there was a lot of investment in the riders from the from the management and from the sponsors because they all benefited um, uh, for for the riders to become pro. Um, so I think for a continental team, there was a, a lot of knowledge there, a lot of investment in the riders, a really nice program, and uh, you just see it with all the talents that came out of there. Um, a lot of pro riders are from that team, so. Yeah, it was just a really nice project, and it's uh, it's really a shame that it uh, is not there anymore. Yeah, it, it is. Of course, the team uh, is is no longer. But I'm just looking back through your first year um, with them back in 2018, and the thing is, I, I thought you were a little bit older. I think when we met, I, I did quite rudely. I mean, I should know. <laughs> I should know as a commentator. I thought you were 24, 25 times. So apologies, but you're only 22 still. Although you're 23 uh, in December. So you're still a very young man. So these, your SEG years were only a very short time ago. So they're still going to be very clear in your mind. But it's very interesting, just looking at your first couple of years there. You had a really, really good year in 2018, which included second place in the Tour de l'Avenir. Now, I'm just going to click on the results from the Tour de l'Avenir. Um, just to, we often talk about it is the race of the future. 
But oh my god, it's incredible. Overall, somebody, somebody, I know somebody called Taddy Pogaccio. Overall, <laughs> you were you were second. Gino made a third. Alexander Vlasov fourth. Clement Champoussin fifth. Ivan Sosa, Jal Meda, Eddie Dunbar, Tobias Foss. Incredible. Like, all of those riders have gone on to bigger and better things. But what you were very young. I mean, even young for, for Lavenir, getting up there overall. And what, what was that battle like with Taddy Pogaccia only a few years ago? Yeah, um, I think just in general, the, the whole battle with, uh, with the top 10 was really close. Yeah, um, it, yeah all, almost on the same level. And um, also, yeah, Pogacar just rode away on a few stages because everybody was looking at each other. Like, of course, don't get me wrong, he was super strong. Um, but also just there were so there were so many attacks that yeah, not everybody could react on everybody. So in the end, that they yeah, made the right attack on the right moment and he got a minute to, in, on the stage to fall these air, I think, on the Isaran. Sure. And um, yeah, that was also the, the base of his victory, you know, so... Um, it was really close. Like, um, yeah, you can also see that the pros now, all those, <laughs> almost all of them in the top 10 are also uh, on a really high level. So that um, yeah, it was a really nice battle for the, for the victory over there. And, and how long, how, how well did you get to know Tade during that time? Because we all know he's a, he's a, he's a really interesting character, much love, but how much interaction did you actually have with him in that race was it all toe to toe did you manage to speak to him much when 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 you're younger or, or was it or literally just a battle I, I think it was literally just a battle i didn't really speak uh, to him like i was it was just also my first year as so on the 23 and uh, yeah and still still at school you know um so i was like whoa what the, what's happening here i was just yeah i was yeah I just didn't have the uh, the mindset to really talk with them, or I was just riding my bike and then uh, enjoying the fight that I was that I was in. I was not really aware of uh, what was going on, to be honest. I was still eighteen years old. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting looking at the way that that you would have raced then and just you know didn't really talk, got stuck in. That appears to be the way that the racing is now. Um, what is it like? I mean, I, I do ask this question to every every pro um of, of different generations what the current scene is like because from my perspective as a commentator also as somebody who loves simply loves the sport when i'm not doing it for a job i watch most of the races because it's it's fun i need to educate myself but um what is it like racing in this modern era clearly you've nothing you've known nothing more you you went up to the world tour in 2020 so this is all that you've known but it what is it like? It seems to be very, very intense, high-frequency racing pretty much all of the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, I also just want to say I turned pro in 2020 after uh, the, the COVID break. So yes. I, I don't know uh, anything different. I, I don't yeah. know how it was in the pro scene before uh, COVID, but so far I'm really enjoying it. It's like hard racing um, from far, uh, sometimes unpredictable, sometimes still predictable. It depends on the stage, of course, but... Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I uh, I like it. Um, also, yeah, I'm also a cycling fan, you know. So if I'm at home training and I'm watching on the telly and uh, and I see some unpredictable racing and uh, from far out, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So for me, it's uh, good fun. But I I can understand if you are racing for ten years and uh, after COVID and with a new generation, it's completely different. It can be quite hard because yeah, it's, the racing is quite hard and um i was also talking with uh, uh 
teammate of mine, Martijn Tusveld. And uh, yeah, we did all the three Grand Tours this year and we just said to each other, yeah, we only remember three easy stages um, <laughs> in, so that's 63 stages. We only remember three easy stages. So wow. uh, just one in all the Grand Tours. So yeah, that's also a great summary of how racing is, I think. Oh, definitely. And 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 interestingly, because of the, the COVID year, 2020, when you did, you rode for SEG up to June, the end of June, then you were with Sunweb, of course, latterly Team DSM, the, the, till, the team that you're, of course, still under contract with. But you went straight, I mean, I, I, I didn't really, you went straight into the Vuelta, um, did a couple of races, and then in your first year, you were riding um, your first Grand Tour, and you ended up with two top 10 places on stages. Was that always the plan or were you a late or were you late in a late addition to the team time? Because that was quite interesting that you were thrown into a grand tour quite early um, in your career. Um, yeah, well, I think first of all, I think 2020 was of course a really special year. Oh, yeah. um, so I think no one predicted uh, COVID um, and the lockdowns. So yeah, I, I think I signed my contract already in, beginning 2019 and it was always the plan to still do one and a half year at under 23 level to uh, to learn a lot but then COVID came of course and then um, I start, already started training and um, uh, worked together with the people from uh, Team Sunweb and uh, now Team DSM and yeah then they saw that I had quite some talent you know and uh, quite a big engine so um, then in the end there was a spot for the Vuelta it was also of course really late with a and yeah, they um, all the teams needed all the riders to even uh, have a full team for the races. So yeah. I think in the end it was just a spot for the Vuelta, and they saw that I, yeah, it's a good form, uh, have a big engine, and then they, uh, yeah, I was pretty happy uh, that I could ride the, the first Grand Tour, and uh, also happy that uh, I was not just yeah, struggling to get to the finish, but I was even uh, fighting for some stage victories, and uh, I never uh, could have dreamt about that. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I know you're moving teams, but DSM are a team that are very, very unique in, in their, their ideology, the way they go about things, but quite clearly what they, they're unafraid to do, and, and which I, I do like about the team, is the fact even the younger riders, they will, they will let them be creative, they'll give them freedom, um, and, and tactically, they're very innovative, I think. And, and the fact this was your first ever Grand Tour, and by stage five, you're in a breakaway and you finished third on the stage. So you, you were clearly, so what was the plan for you in, in, in that first Vuelta? Was it just, it was, clearly wasn't just to get through. Um, the plan was to, to go for, uh, take your opportunities and give you some freedom. Yeah, it was really just about um, getting experience and uh, seeing how it goes day by day, like everything was possible. And um, so I, I think I felt, just felt good that day. And um, I, I remember like in the first breakaway that day, we were at, three guys on 10 or 11 in the in the breakaway with Rob Power and Mark Donovan. And um, then I also rode away from that, that group. We had a lot of freedom and we could just do what, uh, what, what we feel, what we felt like. And um, it was pretty nice to, uh, to do such a first Grand Tour. And um, in the end, then I was strong enough to get some nice results. Yeah. And, and, and what, and what, who were you coached by in in, uh, in DSM? Can you talk a little bit about your relationship? Are, are, first off, are you somebody that's easy to coach? Do you think if you were able to st step out of yourself and look, are you somebody that's easy to coach? How much of a collaboration is, is the coaching that you've had? Because clearly 
DSM have given you the, the platform to win the races that you've won, especially this year. It's been a phenomenal year for you. Um, you've won some big, 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 big races. Now you're moving on to Ineos. But tell me a little bit about the coach and rider relationship and how that works within within the team. Yeah, I, um, I think it was uh, really nice at DSM, uh, especially because um, right from the beginning, I have the, the same trainer and yeah, by coincidence, he also goes to uh, goes to Ineos, and he will still be my trainer. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, his name is uh, Dio Saunders, and uh, yeah, I uh, really learned a lot from him. And uh, um, yeah, together we really I got to know my body and what my body is capable of. So um, yeah, um, so that's also why I could uh, could do two Grand Tours in uh, in twenty twenty. So yeah, that was just great. Um, that was just a great collaboration. Um, yeah, so I think in the end I'm pretty easy to coach, but right. I have to have a good relationship with with someone and um, and have to trust him that he really knows what he's talking about. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's that's mainly it. I'm pretty easy to coach if I agree with someone or I see that someone is really also working hard and um, really has the knowledge to. To, to learn me so to learn me something um, yeah so that was a good cooperation with the, with the trainer but also my coach this year Matt Winston uh, also Englishman of course so yep. I know Matt yeah also uh, was a big help for me this year he uh, had a quite a busy year with uh, three Grand Tours that he did as a DS um, and also on a few altitude camps uh, with me and Romain but yeah in the beginning of the year um, was a was a really big help for me also and um, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, DSM really helped me to uh, be the person I am now. Yeah. And and how much, I mean, you're still a, a very young man, but um, how much have you, you learned about yourself? And clearly we're, I mean, looking back, you, you, you clearly have a very big engine. You can win time trials. You can be up there in, in short stage races. Um, and it looks like clearly grand tours as well. But also when you're a junior, you know, riding well, you're third in, in, in Paris-Roubaix Espoir. <laughs> Do you really know right now what you'd like to achieve or are you still a bit of an open book? Um, clearly you have the engine, but we, we know now because of coaching, because of the we're on this cutting edge of understanding human physiology. It seems like you could be a rider that could almost do anything. Mm -hmm. Where are you in your own head? What do you think you'd like to do or would you like to just discover different aspects of our sport? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um I think my physical, physical, geez, oh man, my English is not. Uh, As your English today. is amazing. Your physical capacity is what, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think they are more meant for GC uh, racing. Like I have a good time trial and, um, and I can climb quite well. So I think it's meant for GCs, but um, in the end, I was also third in Paris-Roubaix, and um, I have a background in cyclocross. So, oh right, um, I, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't. I didn't look. Didn't do my research properly. Right. Okay, that explains <laughs> a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I didn't really. Yeah. I stopped when I um, turned pro. Uh, that was not not really uh, doable for me anymore to to combine that. But I had some nice results. I also won a World Cup as a junior. I won the the Koppenberg Cross at, at uh, on the twenty three level. So I had some nice results, but I didn't have the yeah the the punch, you know, for for to be a, a real uh, big cyclocross rider. Um, so that's maybe also why I'm more like a GC rider because sure. I missed that sprint. I missed that punch. Um, 
but still I, I, I think I can have the engine um, for also the classics and I also really like to watch them and one day I also really yeah right I would really like to do them like Tour Flanders or Prix Roubaix and yeah, it would be also great to do them but I think yeah I'm my body is more made for uh, for the GCs, like the um, just uh, just time trials, the climbing, but also the the third week recovering for the third week. I um, I found out that's uh, quite a big strength of mine. Like all my third weeks in the in the Grand Tours are still still pretty good. So uh, yeah, that's I think a strength of my body. Um, it can take uh, a lot of uh, yeah training load or, or racing. Um, so I think I'm uh, more made for the for the Grand Tours. Yeah, I, I, again, just I mean, the, the results speak for themselves. That they always do, don't they? I mean, when you look at um, let's take this year the Giro, um, you end up you know top twenty overall, but second on the final time trial, fifth the stage before. Then you're a runner up to Africa, um, all in the last eight days, and the same in the in the Vuelta. You know, you had um, as well as the stage win, which we'll talk about in a little while on stage 15 you have your fifth and second so clearly that resilience is massively important and and that begs the question doesn't it really looking ahead and, and we know Ineos have laid their cards on the table this is no secret they, they want to win the grand the sorry the Tour de France again and and when you look at the riders that Ineos has maybe no one rider stands out as that okay it's definitely going to be Tom Peacock or Tom and Aronsman or, or or whoever it might be um or you know or Rodriguez for example but they must be looking to you a little bit I think they've, they've taken on board for a reason and when you look at your ascendancy over the last couple of years and your capacity to, to withstand at a very young age two grand tours in a year and you fact you get stronger you, you must start to think that maybe one day are you thinking about that is that that must be in your mind somewhere um Oh, well, it's pretty easy for me. Um, I just want to be the best rider and human I can be. And sure. if that's good enough for to win a Grand Tour, then um, yeah, I'm happy. Team is happy. Um, but if I'm not able to, then I'm also happy to ride on the front, you know. Um, I'm just doing my best. And um, yeah, then I will see how, how good I am. And maybe I'm good enough to win a Tour. Maybe not. Um, I don't know. I um, think I just do my best and the team wants to get the best out of me. So um, I think that's already... Uh, a good start and then we'll see how it goes like i would like to predict the future and uh, see if i can win the tour but i, I don't know uh, i just have, uh, have to uh, do my best every day and then we'll see you certainly have the right um yeah you certainly have all the attributes there like you say i know it's a very direct question can you win the tour of course it's a almost a silly question but it's just uh, setting the you've set the bar very very high, and you're in one of the biggest teams of the world. It's going to be very interesting to see how the next couple of years goes. But it's uh, exceptionally exciting. Now, going back to um, when you were you were studying, what what did you actually study? What, what was your your background before you decided that you were going to have a career on two wheels? <laughs> I studied history. I've uh, yeah, big interest in history. I uh, I really enjoyed it. What sort What sort of history in particular was it? I, it was mainly just a study in general, but um, well, yeah, some subjects like the yeah the Cold War I quite enjoyed, but also um, on high school I uh, also studied Latin, so um, yeah, naturally I also had quite the interest in uh, in the Romans and the Greeks, um, but just in in general how the all the all the all the events happened in the past and how it influences the present that's uh, for me quite interesting when I 
yeah, when I see the news, then I'm like, um, I I saw this in the in the past, and maybe something can happen again. Um, like that's for me pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like the socio-political climate, um, and uh, as you say, I think the wonderful thing about about cycling as well in 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 my role is when we say in in the in the Vuelta, especially in the Giro d'Italia, actually, because that's the race that I'm I spend a, I've done many many times as a commentator is um, is the culture and the history there. Do, do you ever get a, again, there's never really a chance as a rider to soak that up, but uh, are you aware of that um, amidst the battle of racing? Do you, do you have any time to even remotely appreciate the, the, the areas, the cities, the towns, the landscapes that you're riding through? Yeah, I really try to um, always when, uh, when I'm sitting in the, in the bus, then um, I'm just getting Google maps out, you know, on my phone, it's really easy to do. And I'm just, looking out of the bus and seeing where we are on the world or where we are in Italy. Um, then just maybe you see something on maps, like a nice castle on, in 5k and then you have a look at it and then you look at on Wikipedia or, or whatever to see uh, what the history about, uh, behind that castle is. And yeah, or just, uh, in the mountains, um, just enjoy them. Um, yes, I think that's a, a nice thing to, to, uh, to pass the time when you're uh, sitting in the bus for uh, for two three uh, hours uh, to the start through the hotel, um, but yeah, I'm uh, really aware of the of of the nice job that we have to uh, to see the world and traveling through Italy in a Grand Tour, and then I really try to use it to uh, to see more of the country. That's that's really lovely. I, I didn't I don't didn't necessarily expect that that sort of answer. You know, it's uh, it's really lovely to hear that because uh, I wish that during my short time as a professional, I'd I did actually. I have to look back. I did a Giro d'Italia diary when I when I rode, but um, it'd be nice to keep those memories. And of course, are you somebody that takes a lot of photos as well? Is your phone full of photos of the places that you've been as a rider? Oh, that's uh, that's pretty funny. Actually, I I don't take that that much photos. Actually, none almost myself because um, I just put it all in my head. Um, I just make a photo with my head. I think with my mind, and then. It's a, it, as and then I save it as a memory because um, yeah. I rather just enjoy the moment itself and yeah like there are so many pictures on the internet like you Google I don't know the Colosseum in Rome yeah. and you can see it also like if you see it on your phone or on the internet for me it's yeah the same maybe you took it but I rather just enjoy that one minute more um, on that place than really. Yeah, taking taking that minute to take the picture and post it on social media just to show people that you've been there. Like, yeah, uh, for me, it's I just keep the keep the pictures in my mind. I would say that's that's really really lovely. You know, that, that's that's made me smile. I think it's uh, it's quite refreshing. I think I'm even guilty of it. Um, I think because when I was younger, um, I mean, there are a lot actually saying that. I didn't take a lot of photos when I was younger because we, the cameras we had only had 12 or 24 <laughs> exposures, you know? Um, when I went to the Tour de France, I had, I took 36 pictures because that's all I had, you know? But you are right. I, I, I spent a lot of time looking, experiencing, and now talking to you now, all I need to do is think back and all those memories are there, easily accessible. It's, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes the, the best thing to do is, is use the, the, the capacity that we have to, to remember. That's, that's quite lovely and quite refreshing, actually, for, for somebody um, in this world of, 
wanting of social media and, and taking taking lots of snaps. That's really quite heartening, actually, Timon, to to hear, mate. That's really really good. To hear. That's warmed my heart, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but also don't get me wrong. Of course, I also still take pictures and post something on Instagram because I also like to share uh, with family and friends where I've been. But for me, the most important thing is just also to enjoy and then take one quick picture to share it with others and then the the chunk of it I, I just keep it in my mind um and then yeah just try to get as much time with uh, with that old building or old place uh, as possible what what um so far in your very relatively short career you've raced extensively or you know all over the place what what's your favorite place to ride time and right now that's a good question. I think um, in the Giro, being in the, how do you say it in English? Dolomites, I think. The, the Dolomites, like, the Dolomiti, the, the Dolomites, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really enjoy that. Um, I, I really enjoyed that area of Italy. Like, it's, it's insane how beautiful the mountains are there. And but I think we're looking in the Giro that we had quite some, uh, some good weather cause, because if it's, some bad weather over there maybe it's not that nice but i was really impressed with those mountains i uh it was beautiful yeah the, I, the, I, people often ask me the same question and my answer is the same um there's one place oh. in there's one place in england that i love cornwall it's in the southwest of england it's beautiful it's on the coast um mm-hmm. but then then it is the dolomites or tuscany are the places that, that i love to ride and exactly clear. And well, the the final couple of stages, obviously the, the Giro this year finished in Verona, where you were second in the final TT. And then, what about the Passo Fadea? How hard was that climb? You were fifth on that stage, where basically the Giro changed. Obviously, Jai Hindley dropped Richard Carapaz. You were amongst it um, in relation to what was going on. But um, I bet you didn't have too much time to enjoy that climb because that was brutal, wasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, that that climb was really brutal. I. I... I remember 4K at 12%, maybe. Like, yeah. yeah, that 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 was not funny. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also a really hard day all that day out in the, all day in the break. But yeah, maybe it sounds a bit funny, but I was still able to to quite enjoy it because um, it was not really uh, the plan to go in the break because with the TT after. But I still uh, went all in for the stage victory. But when I saw in the last few K that I was not. Uh, getting the win anymore but maybe a podium um yeah and we wanted that stage victory i i just backed off a little bit um yeah and then i could enjoy all the people standing there and i was not really enjoying the gradients but um yeah all those people standing there and uh, just a views and on, on the top of the lake um oh man that, that that was beautiful um yeah so i was well, in hindsight, I was pretty happy that I backed off and uh, still got the fifth place. And then uh, because of that, I also had a nice TT because then I uh, could also enjoy the mountains. But it was still uh, really hard, even if you uh, back off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just, just literally just to get up the climb is hard. Exactly. You don't, yeah. I mean, you only need to push a bit harder and then you're in the red. So it's, uh, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, physically getting up that climb for anybody, I think, is, is an achievement. Now, we're getting to the point in the, the podcast where, um, well, basically, we're heading towards the hometown quiz um, uh, time. So uh, are, are you ready for a bit of quiz action? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. It's time for the deal quiz. Yo, yo. What's up? Y'all ready? Uh-huh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the 
Dial quiz. So there we go. We've got a special. I don't know if that was um, my Dutch isn't particularly well. My, my Dutch is negligible. Um, I hope um, that that little rap there uh, you enjoyed because you, you were brought. You were born in. How is it pronounced? Deal. Dell. Dell. Okay, so you were born there, but you're actually you live just a few k's away, five kilometers away in Beast. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you, time and when you gave me that information, I, I did my research obviously via Wikipedia, Google. There's mm. not a, there's not a lot, is there? Um, in in Dell, it's very small. Um, there's very little information. So what I've had to do for this quiz um, is do two questions on Dell, and then there's one question on Beast, and then we have. Um, a little bit of a, a, a brain teaser for you, okay, at the end. So um, we'll, we'll crack on. But what I do need you to have handy for the final question is a piece of, is a pen and a piece of paper. So do, do, you, yep. want, do you have that handy? Yeah, I got it. Great stuff. Okay, well, question number one, because it's one of the only things that's on the Wikipedia page <laughs> for, <laughs> for Dill, is, right, what two animals, Timon, are, are depicted... On the Dell coat of arms. Okay, it's multiple choice. So, what two animals are depicted on the Dell coat of arms? Yeah. I, um, okay. Well, you know. sorry. I know. Yeah, I know. But I know the Dutch because um, um, it's also a, a restaurant in uh, in Dell uh, oh. called like that. But I don't know the, the English word for the first animal. But it's a problem. Oh right. Okay. Well. Um, um, well, is it maybe if you say it's like the multiple choice, then uh, I would know. I will say it's a multiple choice. Is it A? A goat and a horse, B, a cow and a goat, C, a horse and a cow, or D, a horse and a sheep. So which combination uh, is it? I then it would be C, but it's it's not really a cow. It's um, it's a bull. Uh, uh, os, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a bull. So we we would we generically call male and female cows cows but technically ah, okay. but technically they're a bull and you are right it is c so 100 it is a horse and a cow uh, they are gold on a blue background so well done 100 so far so a horse and a cow um so it's a good start timer a very good start okay now again because of the lack of um information uh, about dell i've had to drill quite deep um and this is the question I've come up with. Um, what road is the Voff Bagels and Beans Cafe on? Okay, um, in Dell. Okay, Does, do you know the place? The bagels and Beans Shop. Is there a Bagels and Beans Shop in Dell? Yeah, it's called the Voff Bagels and Beans. You, I didn't but, know there were shops in Dell. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a little cafe. There's, there's, anyway, I'm going to give you uh, an idea. I'm going to give you four streets, okay? Okay. Is it A, and you'll have to really, really, I'm going to apologize in advance because I didn't, there's some long names here. Okay. <laughs> is it A, uh, Dofhoistrat, B, Reinesteinstrat, C, Palmersteinstrat, or D, Benedendinesvig. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. No, no, no worries. Um, yeah, I, I really, I think it's maybe inside another building. So then I would say um, A, uh, Duifhuis, Duifhuisstraat. 
Co- it's correct. Sure. It's correct. Yeah. Well done. Well done, mate. Flipping it. That's just really good. Thank you. That's so well done. Because so. I, I can't remember this cafe on its own. So I was like, then it should be more in like the the town building, and that's that's the Duifhuisstraat. So it's I think inside there. Okay, that, that's correct. You are correct. Well done. You clearly, obviously, from me, you know more than me. So you've got so far 100% score. This is very, very good indeed. Now, for question three, we're going to move to the town that you live in now. And this is a history-based question. So hopefully okay. you'll do right on this one. Okay. Which former prime minister of the Netherlands served as the pastor of the Reformed Church of Beast? Okay, so which former Prime Minister of the Netherlands served as the pastor of the Reformed Church of Beast? I'm going to give you four Prime Ministers, yeah. and I've, they're all from a certain period of time, so it's all like the late 1700s to the end of the 1800s, okay? Just, mm-hmm. just so you've got a time frame. So, was it A, Nicholas Pearson, B, Abraham Kuyper, uh, C, Theo de Mater, or D, Joan Rowell. So they are four previous prime ministers of the Netherlands, one of which was the pastor of the church in the town you now live in. Um, Pearson, Kuiper, de Mister, or Rowell. I'm not sure. I think I heard it once from my granddad, so I hope I, he does listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, I'm also thinking about the names of the churches, but I don't recognize the name, so I have to guess. I, I tell you what, what I'm going to allow you to do, because you've done so well so far, uh, you know who wants to be a millionaire when you can take two answers away. Would you like to take an option to make for me to make it slightly easier? I'll remove two wrong answers, then you can choose 50-50. Do you want to do that? Yeah, well, but uh, I would really feel bad if I guess still guess wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really interesting logic. Okay, well, it's completely up to you. Completely up to you. But I can make it slightly easier. So um... yeah, let's see um, if the one I wanted to say is still on there. Then I'm okay. Maybe well, sure. Well, we're going to remove two, and the ones that are left are uh, Nicholas Pearson and Abraham Kuyper. So the other two are, are incorrect. So it's either Nicholas Pearson or Abraham Kuiper. I think it's Abraham Kuiper, but I'm not sure. That's correct. Well done. That is the correct answer. Flipping it, you're absolutely flying. Abraham Kuiper uh, was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands from, well, he lived from 1837 to 1920, and he was the Prime Minister for four years uh, between 1901 and uh, and 1905, and he was the he was also a journalist, and he served as the pastor of the Reformed Church in Beast from 1863 to 1867. So your granddad would be proud of you. Well done. Nice. Righty ho. So the final question um, is a bit of a brain teaser. What I'd like you to do is to write down Beast on a piece of paper and the word Deal next to it, and in 30 seconds. In English, write down as many words as you can using the letters from those two words. Like o- only the the letters of those two words. Yes, yeah, so you, you can blend them together because they're very short words. It'll be yeah. So basically, beast and deal, um, only the letters. So you could use two e's or three e's in one word or, or whatever. So uh, are you clear in what you need to do? So one word would be b, for example. So just mix them around as many words as you can within thirty seconds. Um, and if you can get 10 words 
um, you will get two points. Um, and if you do under 10 words, you will get uh, one point. Um, are you, tell me when you're ready and we will start the countdown clock. Well, it's pretty hard in English, I think. Um, pretty, well, I tell you what. Tell, uh, or do you, would you prefer to do it in Dutch? Uh, I could try in English, I guess. That's good for me. It's a, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good little brain teaser because you're, you're honestly, your English, is, your English is impeccable. So we'll get Nile with the, count, the countdown clock. Tell me when you're ready and we'll do a countdown. Yeah, I'm uh, ready. Okay, you're ready. Right. So um, next time I think we do this, we should do the countdown clock for a time trial. So it's like you're rolling off the ramp. Mm-hmm. But anyway, for the, for the, well, let's do this. Three, two, one, the clock starts now. So, beast and deal. Oh, man. It's quite hard, actually. So, about just over halfway. <laughs> I'm struggling. No worries, don't worry. I'm just getting towards the end. Put your pen down. Simon, uh, the, the time has ended. How many words did you manage to get? I really only got two. Like, there are so many um, e. e, isn't it? I tell you what, it's, let, let's yeah. do it. That was good, because do you know what? I only got two. <laughs> <laughs> so I got seed and B, but I wasn't really properly doing it. Uh, but I tell you what, do you want to do it in Dutch and see if you can beat that? I could try. Right, uh, and I'm just going to remind the listeners um, because they might want to do it at the same time. Beast is spelled B-E-E-S-D, and Deal is spelled D-I, sorry D-E-I-L. So let's do it again in Dutch and see how many you can get, and then we'll do the points from that because I think maybe it was slightly unfair of me to ask because um, these are pretty difficult. So let's get the clock done again and see how many. And I this way I'm going to learn a little bit of Dutch as well. So let's start the countdown clock. Now, in Dutch, here we go. So it's beast and deal, both those words combined. And Tom and Aronsman is going to try and get as many words in Dutch. And then we'll learn about those words following this 30 seconds. 15 seconds in. You can hear that little pen scrabbling away. Should be coming towards the climax now. Here we go. So your time is up. Um, so beast and deal in Dutch. How many words do you have, Tom? Only got four. Also, it's pretty four. hard. With uh... I think it's quite. It's not a great selection of words with three e's. It's quite yeah, hard, isn't it? Um, so um, right, give us the words you've got in Dutch, and you, could you spell them for me? Yeah, uh, bet. So I, I think the same as English. Uh, bet, just a bet. Okay. Sleeping. Um, and you write it the same. Um, And then Bess means Barry, uh, B-E-S. Okay. A bell. Uh, It's also the same, I think. Like, I didn't think about this word words when I was doing it in English, but now in Dutch, I I know it. So that's pretty interesting. And just um, the, like the, like just the bell, you know? It's like the bell. Oh, so the. the, Okay, so the. the. So we've learned that um, bed is the same in, in Dutch as in English. That's yeah. something that everybody can learn. Um, worst case scenario, just, just bed. Um, bez is berry. 
which is yeah. which is wonderful. Uh, Bell is Bell, but we have an extra L, but it's you have one L. So yeah, it's Bell. just one, yeah. Yeah, so Bell as, and then D is the so. The Bell Bed Berry. Um, well done. Well, we, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you. Um, I'm going to. I don't need to give any more points because just one point uh, for me learning a little bit of Dutch and you really trying on the English version means you have got 100%. Let's have a round of applause from our studio audience. Absolutely superb bit of quizzing. And I did like. You're clearly somebody, Timon, who likes to think a little bit because your process in thinking about the questions was was wonderful. Um, the way you. Yeah, you reduced it down. I also like the fact that you, you didn't want to fail having only two answers with the uh, the Prime Minister's qu- um, question. So, well done, mate. Are uh, you happy with the result? 100% isn't bad at all. It's one of our best ever scores, actually. That uh, sounds pretty good, 100%. So I think you can't. Well, the, the, only, uh, the only person who, well, we had uh, the pod, Lizzie Banks um, on the show the other day, one of the professionals from EF uh, Tibco. She got, I think it was, 400% because she got loads of bonuses. So that was the best ever um, quiz result. But I think in terms of the, the blokes, you're, I think you're top three. Not many people get 100%. So well done, mate. Right, moving on um, with the the back end of the pod, mate. Can you talk us through, um, and I know you would have done it before, but it was such a magnificent victory. Uh, the the Vuelta this year, you, you ultimately took the queen stage of the race up to uh, you know the Sierra Nevada um, going into that stage, w- what was the plan for you, and, and how? And you clearly you were feeling good. But talk us about the talk to us about the plan, the little bit of detail, then ultimately winning in the in the, in the manner that you did. How did it go? Um, yeah, well, um, uh, like in the GC, um, I of course was already on a on a few minutes um, because of some bad days and just uh, losing some time. Um, so it's, it's, I was able, like, if it was a really, really big break, um, then I also could try to get in, but I was not really, it was not really the plan to really look for the break. Like if it's only a a break of 10 guys that it was not worth to go in because then they probably would close me. But in the end, I just had a, had a sharp eye on the, on the break and I just tried to stay in front and, um. Just follow some wheels, like uh, just a bit of surfing on the wheels, you know. Sure. And um, we knew that it was quite a, a small road and up and down. So if you are in the back, it, it would really hurt. And it was more likely that the bunch would split than on a big highway road, of course. So I just tried to stay in the front. And yeah, if I could could go in the break, yeah, nice. And I also had kind of a head start on the, on the the for the final. Um but if I stayed with the with the favorites in the, in, the, in a bunch, that was also okay. And then I, I just tried to do a do a yeah, really solid and good climb because we knew that maybe it would be a climb for me, like a really long climb and um, nice gradient at the end uh, for me to put the power down. So yeah, um, would have been nice to be in the break, but it was not necessary. Sure. But yeah, in the end, I just. I just tried to be in front. I followed followed some moves, and um, I. But then I also saw that Quickstep was uh, controlling me a little bit, but only with two guys. So I was like, in the end, oh, I can I can keep trying. Maybe they will also uh, also be tired. And then in the end, it was a break of thirty guys. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is good to be in there. Um, yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, they will have a hard time closing this, and this can maybe. Uh, Maybe go to the to the line, um, and then I was 
to be honest, only thinking about getting a head start for the last climb and um, maybe finish together with the favorites. And because there were so many strong riders in that in that group that I was thinking like, nah, um, for sure they are stronger than than me. They have so uh, so much experience and uh, they are so strong. Like Joy Hindley was in there, Giro winner. I, I was like, ah, for sure he's stronger than me. Sure. Um, yeah, but but then, yeah, the stage went on and I, I still felt good and I saw other people already struggling a little bit and then yeah, um, and then Aja Desire also started to ride so yeah, everybody was a bit insecure if we could make it even to the first climb, um, but that but that we did and then I just tried to set a nice pace on the first climb and um, to gain some more time for the last climb, the really long climb. Um, made a yeah um then we were just with a with a few guys in front uh, had a nice gap for the for the last climb and then it was just just all in i think um and apparently i uh, was the strongest over there so that was pretty nice and i like the, your use of the word apparently <laughs> you, yeah. you, you, you clearly were but the, i mean i've this year and I've, I've i've not raced up this year in nevada but i've ridden it a couple of times and it is um when you look at your attributes, when you look at your your relative size as well, you're a slightly bigger rider who can climb. And so the, the gradient, although there were steep sections, and it came in a, a series of um, parts, but it is a long, long climb. And it is a climb where you, like 6 7%, where you can, you're on that tipping point, aren't you? Uh, much steeper, then you have to work a bit harder. But that, those sorts of gradients are the gradients where you are very dangerous. You, you can actually, you know, the speed that you can ride at, your power to weight is almost perfect. So... It was, I wouldn't say it was made for you, but it was a, a, certainly a climb where you could really demonstrate how, how strong you really are. Yeah, exactly. It was also the plan because the, um, the first part of the climb was, uh, is, the, is the really small road with uh, the really steep gradients. And then yeah. just before halfway, you, uh, you get on the really big road towards the, towards the little town on the top. And um, I j we just said, uh, or I just said to myself and her in the radio that uh, just try to stay with the group on the on the steep gradients. I have to work a little bit harder over there, but the others have to work harder on the on the big road. And if I still feel good, I can attack over there. And that's exactly what I did. And yeah, apparently I had uh, quite a bit more power in the legs than the others, and uh, I really could put the power down and yeah, and uh, could ride to the victory. What do you, I mean, it was, and what was that feeling like? You'd already had wins um, in the year. You'd won, obviously, in, in Poland. Um, but um, Grand Tour stage win, I mean, there, there are, it's, it's love, look, that photograph, I'm looking at it right now with you holding your face. I mean, it's a, it's a big, big deal, isn't it? But, but what was the feeling like? Clearly, you had a big gap as well, so you could properly, there was no panic of anybody coming up. Um, what was that moment like for you? Were you able I'd imagine to savor it and really, really enjoy the moment. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's really nice about uh, getting a solo victory. Um, the last K. Yeah, I, I, yeah. To be honest, I didn't um, dare to look back in the <laughs> until the until the last K. I was just going going as hard as I could. But then I in the last K, I was. It, it started to sink in um, that I was going to win, and then when you have a solo victory. Um, you're not focusing about the sprint or a, or a group sprint, then um, yeah, you can think a little bit about it. And then 
I realized what I was doing and then I just couldn't believe it. Like what I just did with so many big hitters in the, in that front group. But then I was the strongest. I was like, what is happening? And so I just, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was really surprised and, uh, that's why I celebrated that way. Cause yeah, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Um, it, I just couldn't really believe it. And uh, still, when I uh, think about it, like, um, Yes, uh, it's quite an achievement, I think. Yeah, I, I can hear in your voice. You, there's like pauses, and you're just trying to describe it. Is uh, sometimes yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, I think sometimes maybe it's to ask somebody to describe what the victory is like. Is maybe that's a silly question, but um, I, I do like the fact that quite often it, it's difficult to put it into words because it's just pure emotion, and sometimes conveying emotion is is, is actually challenging. And uh, to put it into words is hard, and you can only truly experience it and yourself and which is magnificent and ultimately you went on to to finish sixth overall but just i just want to go back to uh, just a, a part of our sport which i've i'm increasingly finding more more and more fascinating and it's not just the you know i love the disruptive tactics that teams are employing the unpredictability of the racing but one thing that i that i wish i'd learn more about because i could climb reasonably well as a as a as, as a rider is understanding parts of the climb that you're best to use your power on i mean how have you is this something that your coaches are, are earlier something that's not that new but i think one of the, the riders that understood it best was steve cummings he's a, a slightly bigger rider but could climb really well and could climb faster on some climbs than some of the climbers because he understood when to use his power back off when it was really steep survive and then really use his engine on the slightly on the on the lesser gradients is that something that you study and understand or has your, your coaches help you with that? Is that a part of the sport that you're fascinated in or was it something that you just look at and, and, you, under, and you understand? Or is that the Amazon guys that turned up? <laughs> yeah, it was the doorbell, but uh, we'll be fine. No, no <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so, so do, do you find that, that part? I find it really interesting. And can you just tell me a little bit about that or is it something that you just innately understand or is it something that you study and, and work on trying to get right? I think um, it's pretty easy. I think it's just um, physics, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm a heavier guy, so if I want to go as fast as someone, uh, as fast as uphill as someone with 60 kilos, uh, and then me as a 69, 70 kilo, um, I just have to push more watts, you know, because uh, the watts per kilogram has to be the same uh, to go uphill if it's really steep. Um, but the less steep it is, the, so the flatter it is, um, the absolute watts just matter more because um, yeah. that is then it's almost like riding on a flat road. And then if I push 450 and the other guy pushes 350 on a flat road, and well, then you also have the CDA and aerodynamic, of course, but just don't talk about it right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, I go faster with the 450. Um, so if it's 12%, then... Yeah, the other guy has probably an advantage, the 60 kilo guy, because it's just really hard to push 450 um, compared to the 350. Like, I think yeah. the steps, like going from 450 to 500 is harder than 350 to 400. Like, I don't really know why, but I think it's just the higher the watts. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to explain it. Yeah. Um, but I hope you get the point. I do, yeah. Um, I, I totally yeah. understand it. It's just yeah. um, when we didn't measure power, sometimes it, it, you ultimately found your way. But I think increasingly there is 
that there's far more science involved, even when you're looking at small bit small differences in, in ingredient changes and, and where, why you see some riders using parts of climbs to attack, whereas like 20 years ago, for example, riders would just tend to attack everywhere. There wasn't quite the same understanding, yeah. but now we we understand a lot more. Power to weight ratio has always been important, but now we really understand it. Uh, and when you look at the relative speed that a rider's at, going at as well. So I, I just find the whole the whole subject you know, very, very interesting. Um, I just wondered how much of that is going through your mind or is it just it's just a matter of feel and you just understand where you can lay the power down and, and where you where you should back off a little bit? Well, it's, it's, I think it's uh, actually really important because um, yeah, for different reasons, um, also mentally, because um, in the car, they, of course, have failure fewer, uh, the DSs, um, and they give it to us in the radio. Like nowadays, you also have, have it on your Garmin or your Wahoo, the, the profile of the climb, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's also more likely for riders to attack on really steep parts because it's just harder. And on on less less steep parts, um, there's also just still a little bit of draft. Like if you're going full gas and we're doing, I don't know, sometimes we're even climbing at 30k an hour. If we go full <laughs> or 25k an hour, uh, I would say on uh, on some climbs if they go full of yeah, like if Pogacar just goes full bananas attack, he probably goes 30k <laughs> an hour on. Uh, whatever percent i don't know but like you can imagine even on the flat if you're doing 30k an hour and you're riding behind someone you still have a bit of a uh, bit of draft so yeah. that is it's almost the same on the climb so it's it's more likely for riders to attack on the really steep parts um than on on um on parts uh that, that are less steep because there's also still a little bit of draft so it's cool probably easier to follow someone I, I i don't say it's easy but it's a bit more likely that you are able to follow someone so for me it's also i know that i'm um, a pretty heavy climber so uh, normally i struggle a little more on really steep parts so i just have to i just have to survive them and then hope that the others will back off a little bit on the uh on the on the less steep parts and then maybe i can come back and maybe go over them you know just attack straight away because i know maybe they will hesitate because um if somebody tries to close me the others just sit in the wheel and yeah they just have almost a free ride to to close me so i think gradient plays a really big role in the in the tactics um actually quite a big role because nobody is going to attack on like four yeah. percent um if everybody expects it expects it but that's also the the nice thing about four percent nobody expects it so you can yeah. also come from the back and hope nobody wants to close close you down because yeah. the others can just get a free ride back so yeah. that's really interesting to understand the gradient of a climb and um yeah maybe if you're watching on the television getting the profile out of the climb but you see like in 1k or thinking like ah there nothing happens on the beginning of the climb like how is this possible? And then you see, you see the profile in front of you and you see like, ah, the final is 4K at 12%, like Passafidea, you know, what we yeah. talked about. And then you're like, yeah. ah, okay, there where the fireworks will happen. So yeah, yeah that's also how it works in the pro peloton with the DSs that have failed if you were in the car and then um, it just makes more sense to attack on steep parts. Yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is fascinating. It's something that it's... Uh... 
um, that, I, that I always enjoy. And I always try and keep learning as well because the sport is evolving so quickly. We talked at the top, of course, about the the advancements that you the, the team are hoping to get, your new team are hoping to get from other sports, which is um, um, going to be very interesting as you go into the next year. So before we wrap up, what's the one thing that you're looking forward to the most in 2023, Tyler? Um, yeah, I, I think getting to race with my new uh, new teammates like Grant Thomas or Filippo Ganna, that, uh, that's, that's pretty special for me. Um, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, just also like this year, racing together with Romain Bourdain. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, like I'm still 22. So I remember really well, I was sitting with my family on Alpe d'Huez in 2018 uh, on the holiday there. And then seeing, uh, seeing Grant Thomas in yellow racing uphill there and like thinking like, how can you go so fast uphill? And then Romain Bardet in his wheel. And then first I race together with Romain, have some nice uh, results with him. And then hopefully next year with uh, Brian Thomas, that uh, will be really special. And also just trying to learn from him and uh, and uh, improving myself because of him and uh, because of all the, the big stars in, uh, in the Ineos Grenadiers. Yeah, I'm sure that you will learn. I mean, that's a, it's a lovely story. It's... Um... Not that I have achieved anywhere near the success that you did, but my first experience of the tour was on outdoors with my dad watching Greg LeMond, Bernard Hino, and that's what I wanted to do. So it's that I, that's what I love about this sport: the fact that you can you can you can go and watch it, and that if you want it, you can try and go and grab it if you want it. So um, there's a lot of work to be done, but you've obviously worked very very hard, and here you are. You now have this wonderful set of opportunities. Already, you've achieved a lot, but I think. Clearly, mate, your your best years are are still obviously ahead of you, and you've got a great team to work with, and some and some people that you're going to be inspired by, I think, and they'll also be inspired by you. I think you, you can work together on that. But um, oh oh, hold on a minute, there's a noise. Random oh, sorry, question alert. It is time for a random question. Well, it looks like we're going to have to end the uh, the podcast with a random question. Um, as you may or may not know, as part of my contract with Sigma Sports, they installed a very old computer um, from the Cold War period, actually, in my house. Um, I've just reached across and torn off a piece of paper, uh, and I'm just going to read you this random question, which I'm going to ask you. I've never seen it before, Timon, so you're ready for this. Okay. Um <laughs> Okay. Would you rather live in a world without Wi-Fi or a world without Formula One? That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is completely random. I'm, I've never seen this question before, so apologies, uh, apologies but it is random. Um, so yeah, I think I know the. I think I know the answer that I'd go for. Well, it depends also on the context, of course. Like, mm. um, if you are. Like if you don't have Wi-Fi, you can't sometimes watch Formula One if you have your own cycling career and you're traveling the world. So um, I don't know that. <laughs> Man. Yeah. It would be nice to, um, yeah, it really depends. Like it also would be nice to don't have Wi-Fi and just, talk with people but then you're also not allowed to do like when you're traveling to talk with your family or record a podcast you know exactly um, exactly mate it's a good point so so maybe i would go 
yeah, it's a hard one, but without Formula One, I guess. Okay, well, um, because, yeah. I mean, just don't tell Jim Ratcliffe um, or Dave Brown exactly. that, but but I think they'd probably appreciate your your very well thought out answer, and I think I'd agree with it. Well, I do agree um, that it, um, um, yeah, well, without Formula One, um, blimey. Quite an interesting question. I have a feeling that question might have been created during the podcast. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> into, there we go. There's the confirmation there from our producer, Niall. But, um, Timon, first and foremost, mate, um, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you a little bit better. It was lovely to meet you the other day in Nice. I hope that our, I've no doubt there will, our paths will cross next year in 2023. And it just leads me to wish you all the very best for, for, for next year, mate. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, mate. Take care. Brilliant stuff from Timon. I have a feeling people will listen to this podcast in years to come and think, wow, he was only just getting started. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you folks for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it or leave a WhatsApp voice note. And want to recommend it to anyone taking photos of the Colosseum or the Eiffel Tower instead of soaking it all in and making photographs in their minds. Now, we'd love to hear from you by email. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com or, as I mentioned before, but I'm reminding you again now, you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone, which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. And finally, a massive thanks again to Timon for joining us on the podcast today. And we wish him a successful 2023 season and beyond. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.